I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. On this episode of Newt's World, one of the most intriguing television personalities, somebody I learned a great deal from during the time he was at Fox, just remarkably dominant as a commentator. And not only is he a great TV journalist, he's had a remarkable life doing many things, but in particular, I'm impressed with his ability to develop an entire approach to history that is fascinating reading and has found a real audience. His newest book, Killing the Mob, The Fight Against Organized Crime in America, comes out May 4th. This will be the 10th book in the series that includes several national bestsellers, sales of nearly 18 million copies, and over 320 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. In Killing the Mob, Bill traces the brutal history of 20th century organized crime in the U.S. and tells the story of this nation's most notorious serial robbers, con men, and mob family bosses. He covers the period from the 30s to the 80s and traces the prohibition-busting bank robbers of the Depression era, such as Bonnie and Clyde, Pretty Boy Floyd, and Babyface Nelson. In addition, he looks at the creation of the Mafia Commission, the power struggles within the five families, the battles to control Cuba, Las Vegas, and Hollywood, as well as the personal war between the U.S. Attorney General Bobby Kennedy and the legendary Teamsters boss Jimmy Hoffa. So I'm delighted to welcome my good friend and my guest, Bill O'Reilly author of Killing the Mob, The Fight Against Organized Crime in America. I wanted to, just for a minute, 
the work you do on No Spin News. I want to take just a minute first and get your sense of where we are, what's going on, and what you think will happen with the speech tonight and the whole movement towards defunding the police and so forth. What's your take on things? Well, from my perch, we do a daily television newscast on the No Spin News, BillOReilly.com, which is syndicated out now, so a lot of people get to see it. And what I've always tried to do in my entire career was look at things objectively, not emotionally and not through an ideological prism. I'm not a party apparatchik, as you know, Mr. Speaker. I don't analyze the news from that perch. So when Donald Trump was defeated, I knew that he had lost the election the day after the vote. While a lot of conservative and Trump voters didn't believe that, I knew that it was true because I understood that the combination of the media and the unsettling of Mr. Trump's approach that alienated a lot of Americans, particularly women, It wasn't his policy so much. It was the way he conducted himself. And then you throw in COVID chaos and fear. It would have been almost impossible for any incumbent to be reelected. And he did get 72 million votes, far more than any other Republican candidate who ever ran for president. So it wasn't that the nation was wanting Joe Biden. It was a referendum on Donald Trump. So when Biden took over, I wanted to be fair to the man. And I didn't buy into the fact that he was diminished mentally. I wanted to see what exactly he would put forth. And it took me about 48 hours to make two determinations. The first, that he is indeed mentally diminished. He does not understand a lot of the things that he is doing. And you could see that in the executive order to basically blow up border security. There's nobody on earth who could look at that executive order and say that has been a positive thing for anyone. Yet he did it. Does he understand the damage, not only to the United States, but to the migrants themselves? I do not believe he does. I don't think he is capable of making that kind of a determination. Secondly, I wanted to see if Biden was going to put any pushback to the progressive left socialists, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warrens. Not only has he not pushed back, but he has embraced socialism. So those two things have put Joe Biden in my mind now as a dangerous man. I believe he is the most liberal president in American history. No one else is even close, not even Franklin Roosevelt. And I'm coming at this not only as a journalist, but as a historian. And I think that Americans have got to wake up to the danger or every one of us is going to see a far different country in five years than we have now. We know part of that change is already underway with What's happened with defunding the police, the whole attitude about including most of the news media, focusing on incidents that involve police and people being killed. New York had, I think, last weekend, 55 people shot, which was, I think, a record for New York and actually outpaced Chicago, which normally 
is the most violent place in the country. And now we seem to have a huge number of policemen who are retiring. I think you have bigger and bigger problems replacing them. They have something like 5,300 New York Police Department officers have either retired or submitted paperwork to leave the force, which was a 75% increase from the previous year. What's your take on this whole stunning increase in violence and in crime? It's all part of the far-left progressive movement's plan, very well-executed plan, by the way, to change the capitalistic system in America. That's the root of all of this. The spear point is the Black Lives Matter Global Foundation. So what has happened is, with the absolute compliance of the corrupt corporate media, they're enabling this. The Black Lives Matter movement is creating so much turmoil and chaos among working class and poor Americans that the progressives know they can create a system whereby a strong central government is going to have to come in and take over local and state policing. That's number one. They want that. All right. Now, if you have a Portland, Oregon, a Chicago, a New York City where people fear to even come outside, then you're going to have to call in the federal government to stabilize that and take over local policing. The second prong is education, critical race theory. So now you're going to get eight and nine year old children being told that white Americans are bad. And that they have to accept that and change that. And the only way they can change it is to support a strong central socialist government in Washington. That's why this has happened. So if you undermine law enforcement, law and order, you create what? Disorder. If you create disorder, the only mechanism to control it is a strong central government. That's what the Nazis did, Stalin did, Mao did, Fidel did. They all did the same thing. It's a playbook. You pit frightened people who feel they're being persecuted against the wealthy white supremacist establishment. You pit them against each other. And then you tear the country down in order to build up this great socialist monument. That's what's going on. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. So in a sense, the kind of violence that we're seeing today is very different from the kind of violence that you cover in killing the mob. What attracted you to that book as a concept? Well, if you look at America, it's been an evolution. And as you pointed out, it was the 10th killing book. And if you read them all, we begin in the American Revolution with killing England. And we take you through the Civil War, killing Lincoln, and we take you up to World War II, three books on that, and how this whole country has evolved. Well, I always knew that organized crime was a tremendous force in America, but I had no blanket idea how dominant it became after World War II. The keystone to that was General George Patton. And nobody knows this, Mr. Speaker. I don't even know if you know it. And you're one of the smartest guys in the country. I don't even know if you know it. But Patton was in North Africa. And he had defeated Rommel. The Americans and the British had defeated Rommel. All right. And now they had to invade Europe. Okay. So they wanted to land in Sicily. Who controlled Sicily? The mafia. So the American intelligence agency made a deal with the organized crime component in Sicily through a man named Lucky Luciano. You've heard that name, right? Absolutely. Luciano was the most powerful mafia guy in the world. And he was living in New York in a penitentiary. He was in a penitentiary. Okay. He made a deal. You let me out and I'll tell my friends to cooperate with the Allied invasion. That means they'll give you maps, they'll kill Nazis, they'll make it easier for the Third Army to invade, which is exactly what happened. In return, Luciano got out, but they deported him. Dewey deported him, the governor of New York. However, part of the deal was that the mafiosos in Sicily 
who wanted to come to the United States could. And a flood of them came to New York. And they all took over the unions. And from that point on, organized crime grew so powerful because there were no federal agency regulating them. Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, and that's why I get into the mobsters in the 30s, Al Capone and John Dillinger and all of this. The FBI was formed to get them. All right. That's how Hoover got to the FBI, because they had to get these guys under control. They were racing from state to state, stealing staggering amounts of money. But once World War II ended, the Italians stormed into New York, took over all the unions, ran all the rackets and amassed an amazing amount of power. And the federal government did nothing. And the excuse was we have to fight communism that Hoover took the FBI. But what we believe, I cannot prove this, is that the mafia had compromising material on J. Edgar Hoover, and that's why the FBI didn't do anything about the mob. But that ultimately changes, doesn't it, in the 50s? It changes in the 60s. Bobby Kennedy. All right. So Kennedy, when he took over as attorney general, his brother, President Kennedy, appointed him that. He ferociously went after the mob. But at that point, organized crime dominated, ready? Politics, music industry, Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, rock and roll, all of that. They owned all the nightclubs. They did all the payola. The movie industry, Sidney Korshak, okay, took his orders from Giancana in Chicago and the five families in New York. They dominated the movie industry. They financed the movies. The moguls did what they were told. And all of that money that flowed in, they built Las Vegas. And the only reason they didn't dominate Cuba was because Castro took over and threw them out. So they were so powerful. Organized crime was so powerful in this country. And they didn't fear anybody. All right. Because they knew the feds weren't going to do anything to them. And they amassed and amassed and amassed. And then finally, Bobby Kennedy came in and attacked them ferociously, took out Kimi Hoffa, the Teamsters Union head who was linked to the mob, because the mob controlled all the unions. So it's a fascinating tale, much wider than most people believe. You know, they think, oh, well, these gangsters, they stay in their own little world. Organized crime influenced everything we do in America, even today. When you say, what do you mean, even today? Well, it's a different structure now. It's almost like a franchise. <laughs> so narcotics is the big money maker today. All right. Billions and billions of dollars. In fact, the cartels run Mexico. It's not like there's a fight between the Mexican government and the cartels. Cartels have won that. They run the country. And they're deeply involved, of course, in the illegal immigration. But the narcotics now, the Italian mob doesn't retail it anymore. They have farmed that out to various gangs, which is why you see all these murders in Chicago and New York. These are committed by drug gangs that are fighting for turf, but they all have to give a piece to the mafia. They have to give a piece of what they call VIG. And every month they have to send over suitcases for money to the guys who are living in Scarsdale, New York. That's the way it's run now because of the RICO statute, the federal government will aggressively go after these people now, whereas under Jago Hoover and the FBI, they did not. 
Hmm. So have they in that sense reached some kind of agreement to live with the Colombian and Mexican and other cartels? The mob? Yeah, the mafia. Uh, the American mafia? Yeah, I mean, they like them because they do all the lifting. They get all the drugs into the United States. It used to be the friend connection that the mafia would have to finance the Marseille to New York heroin connection. They don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> all these guys do is sit in their big houses all over the country because each area has its own family structure, mob family structure. In Killing the Mob, we name all the guys, even today. I mean, John Gotti's in the book. I mean, we go up to today. But they love the Mexican cartels and the Colombians and all of that because they're responsible for getting the drugs into the United States. Once they're here, then the Italian mob regulates the distribution through the local gang. And that's why, as I said, you're seeing this horrific murder rate in Chicago because the black drug gangs are trying to kill each other. And then the innocent people are caught in a crossfire. What share of the kind of murders and random shootings that we see in these big cities, what share of that relates to drugs and to organized crime? 75%. The murder rates that you see, the horrific murder rates in New York and in Detroit, in Chicago, in some areas of LA, are all ethnic gangs. All of it. It's not like people going out and just shooting down tourists. That's not what's happening. These are people who are trying to make as much money selling drugs as possible. And if you're in that business, you have no morals. You can't sell hard drugs and have morals. So if you want to shoot somebody to make more money, you're going to do it. And that's what's happening. And the media will never tell you the truth about it. Does Biden even know this? I mean, I'm going to send him a copy of Killing the Mob, an autographed copy, by the way, Mr. Speaker. Do you think Joe Biden can sit down and read that book? Do you think he's capable of reading that book? Does it have I, pictures? Yeah, it has pictures. <laughs> I don't think the man is capable of doing that, of sitting down and reading a 300-page book that would tell him stuff that he has no blanking clue about that's affecting public safety in the United States from coast to coast. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Maxie did not know about when Luciano gets out of prison, commuted by the New York Governor Tom Dewey, who'd made a reputation as an attorney general who was tough on crime, but then because of the deal they'd made in the war, he lets uh, Lucky Luciano out. As Luciano is consolidating his control, as you reported, and I, I was not aware of this, there's this week-long Havana conference after World War II, and this is like a bad movie. I mean, all these guys showing up with their girlfriends and lots of trunks of clothing and surrounded by their bodyguards so that, I guess, for every mobster, you have to have three or four bodyguards. I mean, that week would be an amazing movie. And who was the entertainment? Do you remember who the entertainment at the Hotel National was? No. Frank Sinatra. I was going to say, I was going to guess Sinatra. A variation on Sinatra, of course, showed up in The Godfather. And I think that Sinatra was always bitter because, if the story's correct, Joe Kennedy, the father, cut a deal with the mafia to help John F. Kennedy get the Democratic nomination. And when the election, we have that part in Killing the Mob where Sam Giancana, who was the godfather in Chicago, and he was the guy who ran Sinatra. Giancana ran Frank Sinatra. Sinatra was in 100% of the mob. But Giancana made a deal with the elder Kennedy to deliver Illinois to JFK, which he did. And that was enough, that in West Virginia, to give JFK the victory over Richard Nixon. Nixon knew it, but the mob had something on Nixon. And that's why he didn't make a big deal out of it. Doesn't Giancana share a girlfriend with the president? Yes. Phyllis McGuire. Remember the McGuire sisters? Yes. Beautiful woman. So Phyllis, in addition to being beautiful, was, I guess, very energetic. She uh, a little dalliance with the president, Kennedy, and then she was Giancana's main squeeze. I don't so, know if you can say that this year, this, but we so get into her. Wait a second. So Giancana delivers Illinois. He shares his girlfriend. Yes. And then Bobby Kennedy apparently didn't get the joke because he decides to become an intensely anti-mob attorney general, even though the mob has done all this for his family. Bobby Kennedy is a fascinating, fascinating guy. I spent a lot of time with his eldest son researching this book. 
And from what I can ascertain, and I am not a psychologist or Bobby Kennedy was the youngest and smallest of the Kennedy boys and did not get the attention of his father, Joseph Kennedy, this patriarch of the Kennedy family, and resented it forever. And therefore, when Joseph Kennedy, his father, Bobby's father, said, well, why don't you lay off the mob? That made him go after the mob even harder. But a fascinating part of this is that JFK knew that Bobby was going to do it and appointed him anyway. JFK stayed out of it. He didn't want anything to do with the mob because he knew. They all knew. But Bobby was ferocious, ferocious in how he attacked organized crime. And I admire him very much for that. But it must have triggered a real sense of betrayal as seen by the mob. Oh, they were crazed. They were crazed. But, you know, I wrote the book Killing Kennedy. And in that book, we detail exactly how JFK was assassinated. The mob wanted JFK dead. They wanted to kill him. But they didn't have the power to do it. They didn't have the power to do it. However, they were able to silence, the mob was, Jack Ruby. And they were able to get Oswald dead. That was a mob hit, all right, on Lee Harvey Oswald. But they didn't have enough. They would have, but they didn't want that heat. Organized crime is a business. They knew if they directly killed a president, and that was found out, that it would be all over for them. So Oswald was a nut. He was involved with crazy stuff, but he did it. And again, we chronicle that down to the last period in Killing Kennedy. But when Oswald got killed, that was Jack Ruby, and he was an organized crime guy. I went last year and saw The Irishman, which is sort of a modern and different angled view of the mob. And of course, The Godfather is an extraordinary three-part series. I actually think Puzo's novel, the section on the rise of the dawn, may be as good a portrait of how power is accumulated as anybody's ever written. But today, if you were looking at politics in America, to what extent do we have to be concerned about mob influence and mob to some extent, control, and to what extent has it been weakened by all of the law enforcement efforts over the last half century? Well, the mob reached its pinnacle of power in 1962. And from then on in, it declined. And then when the federal government passed the RICO statute, which I think you had something to do with, that made it a conspiracy, a felonious conspiracy to even talk about importing narcotics or whacking somebody or whatever you were setting up made it a lot easier to get convictions. It changed the whole outlook of how organized crime did business. So now they're not a threat to American stability as they were at one time because they were bribing so many politicians. And in fact, we have a section in the book where Luciano says that he gave Thomas Dewey $500,000 in cash. And also John Mitchell, the attorney general for Richard Nixon, 
there is testimony from organized crime figures that they bribed him. Now, is that true? I can't confirm it, but this is what they publicly said, these organized crime guys. We put names on all of that. I don't use any anonymous sources in my books. So right now, they organized crime in America. The problem with them and how it affects every American is that they are corrupting the society. So the fentanyl and the methamphetamine and the cocaine and the heroin are all distributed by organized crime through the local gangs. That is a corrosive effect on the nation and is responsible for 70% of the street crime because addicts need money and they commit crimes in order to get money to buy drugs. All this homeless stuff that you see all over the place, that's all narcotics. Those are all drug addicted people who have banded together in tents and squalor simply to use drugs because they can't work and they can't do anything. That's all the responsibility of organized crime, the mob in America, because they're the top level distributors. It's a pretty sobering view. From your perspective, having really looked at this and produced Killing the Mob, is it possible to break them? Look, you know me. I'm a problem solver. That's why I was successful for more than 20 years on the Fox News Channel. What I brought to my news analysis was not only a complaint, but a solution. I could solve the crime problem in New York and Chicago in two months if I were in charge and had the ability given to me by the city council to do what I wanted to do. All right. So the authorities have more power than the mob, but they don't use it. In fact, in New York, it's the opposite. Now we let all the drug dealers, the heroin dealers, and this is directly on Barack Obama's doorstep. Because Barack Obama, as you'll remember, Mr. Speaker, came out and said, selling hard drugs is not a violent crime. That message then got into all the liberal precincts. Oh, yeah, you can sell heroin to my 19-year-old, and that's not so bad. So you shouldn't go to prison. You should go to rehab. And we're not going to hold you on bail. All right? Totally ignoring the violence, extreme violence, in all of the narcotics industry from the street level on up. Okay? That's Barack Obama. That's what he did. And he did it because the overwhelming color of people trafficking in narcotics is black because they sell in the inner cities and destroy those neighborhoods. So if the federal government or even the state government decided to use the National Guard, decided to have draconian penalties for drug dealing, all right, and I mean really severe penalties, you could wipe it out, but they'll never do it. I did a thesis when I was at the Kennedy School at Harvard on Singapore and how they handle drugs. There is no drug problem in Singapore. There are no drug addicts and there are no drug dealers because they kill the drug dealers. They execute them. And if you're found with drugs in your bloodstream in Singapore and cops can test anyone without a warrant, 
Okay. You go to a quote unquote rehab center for 22 months. So there's no market. That's how they solve their drug problem. Now, you can't do that in the United States. I understand that. But you can defeat the problem, but you got to be one tough hombre in order to do it. I've known you for years, and I have zero doubt that you were one tough hombre. (laughs) (laughs) I have no sympathy for people who sell poison. All right. In my family, I have had people die from narcotics, and I know how bad they are. And they are probably right now the most corrosive element is narcotics traffic in the United States. Should tell people something about how tough you are that you've now done 10 books that start with the word killing. (laughs) (laughs) And obviously, you have a huge fan club. Listen, I really appreciate both what you're doing on television still today and what you're doing. Really, as a historian, I think you can more than legitimately claim to be a serious historian, given the amount of work you've done and the quality of that work. So I'm really grateful, Bill, that you'd share this with us. And I really want to encourage people to get a copy of Killing the Mob. I think they will find it absolutely fascinating. I really appreciate it, Mr. Speaker. I'm glad you're doing well, and I hope we can talk again real soon. Look forward to it. Thanks. Thank you to my guest, Bill O'Reilly. You can find a link to buy his new book, Killing the Mob, The Fight Against Organized Crime in America, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan. And our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.